Good evening. It's good to be here with you all. If you would please open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's where we'll begin this evening. Again, that is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This evening we'll be discussing walking with Jesus in today's world. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it is difficult to be immersed in Christianity in every aspect of our lives. And today's culture. You see, the music that is popular isn't Christian. The the shows and the movies that are popular are not Christian. The book series that we read and that are uh, put in our libraries and given to our kids are not Christian. And you can't practice Christianity in in public schools, right? You You can have different things going on in your schools uh, that you have to account for. But if you bring a Bible into school, you're you're in trouble. So you can't practice Christianity in your public schools. And and now the companies that make our clothes and the food that we have are are becoming anti-Christian and they're, they're in our face about it. Those who make the cars we drive are becoming anti-Christian and they're in our face about it. It seems like every company that is a part of the traditional uh, living in America uh, over the past 50 years has somehow done something to make an anti-Christian statement right out there in the open. And our question is going to be tonight, how do we walk with Jesus in a world that doesn't seem to want Him or in today's world? All right, so many of us are talking about uh, today's world is so much worse than it was before. So how do we walk with Jesus in today's world? And we're going to have three points that I would like to bring to the forefront. And point number one is that if you want to walk with Jesus in today's world, it begins at home. Now, I, I know that there's this idea that when I say it begins at home, that it is going to be specifically targeted uh, towards, towards children, towards kids, teenagers, youth group. But, but really, it's so much more than that because the home, for those of you who don't have kids or grandkids or anything like that, that, that you're guardians of, the home is where we keep our secrets, right? The home is where we keep our secret sins. It's where we keep our addictions. It's where we keep our self, our unperfect self. And so we're going to explore what it means when it begins at home, but we will spe- specifically be starting with, with kids. My very first sermon as a youth minister, I, I came up here and I, uh, I had almost 9,000 cotton balls uh, prepared, and they represented, each cotton ball represented hours in a year, because you have close to 9,000 hours in a year. And I stated that if you bring your child or even yourself to church every Sunday morning, uh, Sunday night and Wednesday, that we're, you're going to get about 288 hours. And I grabbed 288 cotton balls and I set them over here. And we made this comparison about the time that, that we spend in our home or that we have with our parents versus the time you have at the church. And this is important because in our culture, we have uh, led people to believe that the church leadership is responsible for the salvation of my child. But who do they get to really spend the most time with? Who should be taking responsibility if, 
If you think that your child has failed, so to speak, that's, that's not the definition that I would use, but if you think they've fallen away and you blame it on the church leadership, let's really think about who they're spending the most time with. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And let's think about this logically. If we believe in the God of the Bible, if we're, if we're Bible-believing Christians and we believe in God, and we believe that He is a God that never changes, all right, then wouldn't we want to make sure that the message He has given us, the most recent one, so Jesus Christ, the message of His Son, wouldn't we want to still practice these things in our home with our children and with ourselves as we go? You see, it's, it's, our, it's our mission, it's our goal to have every aspect of, of our lives be focused on immersing ourselves and our families in the Word and understanding the Word of the Bible. We had a camp session we just got back from. And, and we had 95 kids there, 95 kids, and that's not including staff. And only about 10 of them were visiting. They, they, they come from non-Christian homes. That means 85 kids, roughly, came from Christian homes. And I met probably 60 or so kids that were not secure in their faith, that were struggling spiritually, that really were broken and, and we, we worked on that, and we try our best to make sure that, that we can give them something spiritual to feed on. But it only lasts for a couple weeks. They've got to get this at home. And part of that is the main reason, and this is my opinion, is that we give them phones. See, our goal is to create a culture in the home, is it not? A culture of Christianity. And what we've done by giving uh, our, our teenagers phones that reach the ends of the earth is that we have allowed there to be two different cultures in our home. You see that we have this culture of Christianity when we're in front of mom and dad or when we're in the living room. Um, but in our bedroom, we don't have to listen to what they say. They can scroll until they find a justification for what they believe. You know, we have, we're battling cultures here. And I get it if you say that, that your child needs a phone to survive. Okay, but do they really need a smartphone? See, our, our, we have this idea that, uh, that we don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want them to be any different. But by making them not different from the world, they don't know how to be different from the world when they leave the home. And so we, we, we are not creating a culture in our homes that is specifically God-centered. And we can, you know, I'm not perfect. I, I sit there and I scroll on my phone. I'll, I'll, I'll scroll and ignore my kids. So I'm not, it happens to all of us, older and younger. 
So we need to be mindful of what is going on in our homes. The way we learn to walk with Jesus in today's world is that we have to teach how to walk in today's world. But for those of us who are older, who maybe aren't able to teach it, we have to learn how to immerse ourselves in God every day so that we can walk properly in today's world. Proverbs 22, Solomon will say, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Well, there are those who are children who are being trained, and then there are those who are old who should not be departing from the Word. And if you find yourself in that category, then then you need to make sure that it starts at home. You need to make sure that you are battling your, your, your secret sins or your, uh, your addictions. Or maybe you're not treating your, your spouse the way you ought to. All right? Uh, you have children. You need to make sure that we are immersing them in the culture of Christianity, teaching them how to be different. It's, it's all about us not being of the world. And it starts in our very own homes. A faithful walk in a cruel world begins in our homes. Point number two, our everyday walk needs to be a non-negotiable. When I started my first job, my parents uh, went into the interview process with me, and it was quite embarrassing because I wanted to do it by myself. I went to the Sonic in Tri-City, uh, Newcastle, Oklahoma, and, uh, and I wanted to apply by myself, but they went in with me, and this is what they said to the boss. He will not be here on Sundays or Wednesdays. I didn't have a choice in that matter. Sundays and Wednesdays, I was not allowed to work. And if they did schedule me, I didn't have to deal with my boss. Guess who got to deal with him? My parents dealt with the boss. And now, I'm thankful for that. At the time, it was embarrassing. But now I'm thankful for that structure that was set up. Matthew 22 a lawyer is trying to catch Jesus in, in a trick question, and he asks him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You see, walking with Jesus is more than just a choice. It's more than just getting wet in the waters of baptism. It's now a life of moral standards And the standard is that we choose morality over everything else. And it's got to be, we we choose it enough to make the big things in our life non-negotiable, right? I'm I'm careful about uh, about how I talk in front of people or, I don't know, the, the big things. But what about our everyday lives? Do we negotiate with the world? For example, do we negotiate with companies that outwardly attack Christian values? Do we negotiate with the music that fills our heads and our hearts full of junk? All right? We sing hymns. Why? Well, because it implants the Word of God in our minds and on our hearts. So if we are not singing hymns, what is being implanted on our hearts and on our minds? Do we negotiate with our coaches and our bosses in the workplace on Sundays when we're called to worship our Creator? Do we negotiate with our addictions, and with our sins? Or is our holy walk in the eyes of God a non-negotiable to us? 
Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that if you do all these things, if you support certain companies, or if you, or if you listen to certain music, that you're sinning. That's not what I'm saying. What I am asking you is, are you striving to be more holy every day? Because it's not for me to say whether you're sinning if we support these things. That's for God to decide and judge, and we're going to leave that to him. However, in Luke 9, Jesus has an encounter with a man who wants to follow him, and Jesus says, sure. Then the man goes, Jesus, just wait. Uh, I want to say goodbye to my family and my friends. And that's a, that's a reasonable request, I think. Before I go travel uh, this region with you, and I have nowhere to lay my head. I don't know what's going to happen next. Let me go say bye to my, to my friends and my family. But what does Jesus say to him in verse 62 of Luke 9? He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's going to be weird, all right, to, to not to tell people you don't have uh, Disney Plus, you know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be weird to tell people you don't listen to this certain type of music. It's going to, be t- going to be weird to tell people that you don't shop in these certain places. And if you haven't done it before, it's going to be weird. All right? But we are called to be different. We're not called to be of this world, as Jesus puts it. The world is going to find the things that we do as Christians strange and even off-putting. But if we can't stand for our conviction in Christ, well, we might as well just do whatever we want. And if we've chosen to do whatever we want, well, then we've chosen our God because we've chosen to serve ourselves. When we choose to walk with Christ, our everyday walk should become a non-negotiable. And what we do in our everyday should put us closer to holiness. You know, when I wake up tomorrow, uh, my goal is to have a day where I'm just a little more holy than I was the day before. And how do I do that? Well, we must uh, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him every single day. Again, I'm not here to get on to you about what, what we're supporting. That's, that's going to come down to an individual basis. But we have to make sure we are not negotiating with the world on our holiness. And the third thing that we need to do if we're going to walk with Jesus in today's world is that we must love God so that we can love others. So what does it mean to love Jesus? I think this has been a really hard question uh, for, for lots of people. It's definitely a hard one for me and one, one that I have a hard time answering. However, I want to put it simply like this. I love pizza. Like, honestly, I could eat pizza every day. And I, I did. When Allie and I first got married, uh, it was one of the first times I could afford to eat food every day. And I ate uh, pizza every day and gained like 30 pounds. It was amazing. It was great. I love pizza. But then, I met, when I met Allie, and she said yes to me at Hafer Park. Or I met my kids for the first time, and I got to hold them. I gained a new perspective on what love really was. And I found out that I just really like pizza. But I don't love it. 
In Matthew 12, 46, Jesus is teaching in a home and a man comes to him and tells him that his mother and brothers are outside wanting to speak to him. And how does Jesus respond to them? He replies to this man who's come to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. You see, the Christian motto seems to be family first, uh, God first, sorry, uh, family second, and then for me, it's fishing, right? Number three. However, I know more people who have fallen away from God because of the influence of their families than I do of people who have neglected their families and stayed with God. Maybe neglect is the wrong word, but, but who have put boundaries away from their families and stayed with God. And I believe this is why Jesus specifically spoke on this, because it seems in the church that it's family first and God second. And in doing that, we've shown who we love more. And I get it. I get it. I really do. I love my family. But can my mother or my father or my sisters or my brother, can they attain salvation for me? They cannot. The only way for me to get to God is to have my relationship with Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me is what Jesus says. Sometimes we have to put our relationship with God over our own flesh and blood. Or even our own friends. When I got into ministry full time, uh, I I had a big friend group, um, but we were not religious whatsoever. In fact, I was actually voted the most non-religious person in our group. Um, And so when I got into ministry full time, my phone stopped ringing, stopped getting calls. I stopped getting answers on, on text messages Uh, nobody wanted to hang out with me. And it's not because they hated me. But now I was a bigot. I stood for for these Christian values that that set boundaries and expect holiness. And I, I thought it was the devil attacking me, all the pain I was going through. But what I realized was that it was my sacrifice to God. That pain was a sacrifice to God because it hurt to lose But what is a sacrifice to God if it doesn't hurt? If it doesn't cost you anything, is it really a sacrifice? I was just showing God how much I loved him by letting go of those who did not do his will so that I could do his will. To love Jesus is to make the will of God our number one and top priority. It's to serve and love one another because that's God's will Matthew 22. It's to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians chapter 5. It's to follow Jesus' teachings. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's loving in general because God first loved us. 1 John chapter 4. One of the ways that I try to grasp at holiness in my everyday walk is I, I listen to almost only Christian music. Uh, Christian hip-hop in particular. Uh, they, these guys preach sermons in, in their lyrics, and I like the way the bass hits. So, you know, I get the best of both worlds. And one of my favorite Christian hip-hop groups, Beautiful Eulogy, they, 
they describe their love of God like this. If in one unfortunate moment you took everything that I own, everything you've given from heaven above and everything that I've ever known, if you stripped away my ministry, my influence, my reputation, my health, my happiness, my friends, my pride, and my expectation, if you caused for me to suffer or to suffer for the cause of the cross, if the cost of my allegiance is prison and all of my freedoms are lost, if you take the breath from my lungs and make an end to my life, If you take the most precious part of me and take my kids and my wife, it would crush me. It would break me. It would suffocate and cause heartache. I would taste the bitter, dark providence, but you would still preserve my faith. What's concealed in the heart of having is revealed in the losing of things, and I can't even begin to imagine the sting that kind of pain brings. I would never blame you for evil, even if you caused me pain. I came into this world with nothing, and when I die, it'll be the same. I will praise your name and the giving and taking away. If I have you, I can lose everything and still consider it gain. You see, loving Christ is something that we do every day. And it's not just about what we're going to have and we're going to give up and we're going to lose. But it's about realizing that he is all we need in this life. The word for that is contentment. It's about loving God so much that our actions inwardly and outwardly try to match the love that has been shown to us. And I'm sure you've heard that our actions speak louder than words. And so we should prove how much we love him by the way we treat those lost in today's world. See, we've been talking about how to be separate from today's world, how to be different. But we've been called in Matthew to go and seek the lost. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to be different from the world, but we're supposed to find people. We're supposed to be showing the love of God to these people. And when we have the love of God in us, and we truly love God, it's going to be apparent in how we treat those in the world. Yes, shake the dust off your feet from those who have chosen the world over God, but do not write off those who are lost in it. Because each and every one of us were lost at one time in this world, and somebody came to us, and somebody showed us the truth. When we love those lost in the world, they see God and His love, and they get the same thing that we got when we first heard and saw His love, and that is hope. They receive hope that there is something more than what the world offers, hope that gives us strength and patience in the tribulations from today's world, Romans 12. Hope that fills us with joy and peace in believing that the world, uh, what the world won't believe, which is in Jesus Christ, Romans 15. And in Jesus Christ, we get to be connected with God for eternity. Hope that weakens the desires of the flesh here so that we may abound to the glory of our Creator, Colossians 1. When we love God, it shows in our actions and we become the light that brings others to Him. Matthew chapter 5. So in conclusion this evening, we talked about what it looks like to walk with Jesus in today's world. And we established three key things that I believe we must have for a faithful walk. And our first one is that the walk begins in the home. Whether it's with your kids, whether it's with yourself. It is something that is taught to 
and self-taught, and it must be taught if we want to have Christians in this world that stand up for themselves and are ready to give an answer. The second thing is that our walk, our everyday walk, must be a non-negotiable, meaning that holiness is the goal. Every day we want to be a little more holy than we were the day before. And so how we live in our everyday lives must match our values and our convictions. And then thirdly, we must truly love God so that we can truly love others, meaning that our actions done in the love of God will show God's love to those who are lost in the world. And we pray and hope that they bring them to Him. So this evening, perhaps you're new with Christ, or maybe you're old in your walk with Christ, but you're struggling. We all struggle. And those who tell you they've got it down perfect, they're lying to you. We all struggle. And I want you to know that that is okay. That is completely okay. Because God gave us something amazing when He sent His Son, and that is that whoever comes to God through Jesus has this fantastic place, a support group called the church. And it's made up of regular, everyday, imperfect people like you and me. The thing that we all have in common is that we're united in Christ. And the church is made up of people who have been going and are going through this world. And if you look to the church for support, you will find it. If you think that you have been going, uh, nobody's done what you've done Look at the people with uh, white and gray hair and wrinkles. I'm sure that they have been through it. You're not alone. And vulnerability is not a weakness. Talk to your church family. Because they are the ones who have been going through this world and their walk with Jesus and they're still here. And so they have a lot of advice to offer you. This world is going to beat you down and it's going to build you up with its own intentions in mind. It doesn't care whether you succeed, and it doesn't really care if you fail. But the church does. The church wants to see every single person in its body succeed. So lean on the church, as God has designed for us to do. We are walking this path together, and if you have any need now, whether it be uh, after services and you just need to grab somebody or, or you need to come forward and confess or you need the prayers of the church, uh, don't walk out those doors without talking to somebody about your struggle because the best thing that we can do, the most important thing that we can do is walk with Jesus in today's world. So if you have any need, please let us know as we stand and as we sing.